Amen and amen. Well, welcome. Welcome Facebook Live. Welcome people that are watching a couple states away from New Jersey, Texas. They're there, and we just thank and praise God for you. And thank you if you're here today and then you're our guest. We are so thankful for you being here. So kind of the way we work here is that we have this opportunity to look and celebrate the resurrection through not only singing, not only through prayer, but through his word. And then at the end, we have a time where we can begin to make some decisions based on what God said. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your life today. Where are we going today? We're going because the word resurrection is used in the Bible in the New Testament. It means, one of the words for it means to stand again. And so the resurrection for us is something new and something great. So I'd like to turn to a section of scripture where these women went to the tomb. Now, let me set the narrative for you. These women in Roman uh, law and in that area were considered liars. They weren't considered trustworthy. And so witnesses of a female in a court system, judicial system during that time, would not hold weight. But isn't it interesting that the God who created male and female the God over all of heaven and earth said that I will show myself to these ladies first. That if you read in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is the greatest liberator and redeemer of all people, that he chose to do that. So let's look at Luke chapter 24. It'll be up on the screen. If you have a phone and you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, that is the good news of Luke, chapter 24. Verses 1 and 2, and I'd like to read for you this beginning after the cross, after Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who was part of the council, the Sanhedrin, but to take care of his body. Verse 1 of Luke 24, on the first day of the week, that is on a Sunday, that's why as Christians we worship on a Sunday, the Jewish uh, week ended in Shabbat called Sabbath, and it was on a Saturday. But the first day of the week in the Jewish calendar was a Sunday. So for us as believers, we worship on a Sunday. It represents the day of the resurrection uh, all across America today. If I was looking on Twitter this morning and I was looking at all the different places where people were worshiping, they were worshiping on the slopes. They had, it was interesting, hundreds if not thousands of people on the ski slope and they were worshiping. Then I went and I looked there at, at the mall in Washington and there were people, thousands of people worshiping the Lord in the mall in Washington. And then there was a group of people by the Lincoln Memorial. And then it was interesting for me to see, then there were these beach and sunrise worship gatherings. And there were thousands of people at these worship gatherings. And then all the way in California and Monterey, and there, there on the hill, there was a cross. And they were said, and there were almost 10,000 people worshiping. It's interesting to me that God has pockets of believers all over the world worshiping him. And here, they did it because it was early on the first day of the week. Look what it says in verse 1. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the what, saints? The tomb. You can talk back at Summit. We talk back. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. It's very interesting. But when they entered, 
they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, who are these women? One, one woman I'd like to point out today is Mary Magdalene. She, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, you see that, that she was a woman that was delivered a possession of spirits. And, and she and some other women evidently had money, and they would take money, and they, 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 they used their money to help promote the gospel of Jesus, and they began to take care of the disciples in Jesus. So they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to stop there. So as somebody who likes to deal with apologetics, let me just break it down for you. There's a lot of theories that the Romans and that the Jews tried to purport. One was that the body was stolen. The disciples had stole the body. Here's my point. Then if the, the body was stolen, then the Romans who had all complete authority, why didn't they just pressure the disciples to give the body? Think about it. They killed every disciple of Jesus of the apostles except for John who at one time who is an older man banished to the island of Patmos when he writes the book of Revelation. Think about it. They could have pressured the disciples. Another one of my favorite is hallucinations. Well, they were overcome with grief and they were hallucinating. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when Jesus appeared that over 500 of his disciples at one time. Now, we all know the documentation on this that people do not hallucinate in groups. If everybody in this room, if we all got together and we said, we're going to bust up some shrooms up in here and we're going to have a good time. What's interesting is none of us would have the same hallucination. Never has it been documented. Another one was, well, Jesus didn't really die. He was in a coma state. You mean to tell me he was stabbed all the way to the sack around his heart, beaten unrecognizable, nailed to the cross, the experts of all execution, Roman soldiers. I mean, these were for barbarians. These were for the most heinous of all crimes. Only people died on the cross that were the worst of the worst. And you mean to tell me they didn't know he wasn't dead? And then, oh, by the way, he wasn't just beaten so bad and nailed so bad and stabbed in his side all the way to his heart so bad that he could just find a way to get up, push over a stone that, has, that takes men, couples of men, to put on over that tomb, that he could do that with all those wounds, it's far-fetched. All these different theories that they had, but none of them could be proven. But when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, and this is the verse, and I've used this before on an Easter, but I can't get around it and I can't stop it thinking about it, and I think about it throughout the year all the time. This is something that spoke to my heart, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. This is the question. Why do you look for the what, saints? Among the dead. And I thought about my life and I thought, you're right. That's what I do, Lord. I'm always looking for the living among the dead. I'm always looking for the living. Oh, if I get this job, that'll bring me. No, no, no. If I, if I go out, if, if you're single and you just get that, if I just get married. 
No, if I get this promotion, right, right, if I get that or if I get this financial status or, or if I could just get to retirement or if I could just get to, if I could just get that, then I, that would be life. If I get this job that I really want, what's interesting about Jesus is that Jesus said, it's not a new promotion, it's not a new relationship, it's not a new status that'll bring you life. It's only in him, only in him. And I was wrecked by it. And I thought about these ladies. Why do you look for the living among the dead? They were in a place of broken hope. I think uh, this one writer wrote about that. I think his name was Scott Hubbard, about a broken hope. And I thought, that's exactly where people live, Lord. We live in a place of broken hope because we think, man, if, if I could just get to there, then I'll have this. And, and Jesus says, your life is not in a position, your life is in me. When Jesus claimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So where are we going today? It's on Facebook. Uh, it's Summit Charleston. The notes are all on there. That video you saw that's on there. Here's what I want to say. Everything today is in Jesus. Here's the main idea. The resurrection of Jesus proves that the gospel takes a broken heart and puts it into new hope, or takes a broken hope and puts it into new hope. It changes everything. And so for me, the resurrection makes everything new because he changes me. Uh, as some writer wrote, um, I think it was Scott Hubbard said, that the people of God are people of hope. And so we have an opportunity today to experience the Lord in a powerful way. I mean, think about it. For many of us, uh, he writes, this guy, Scott, he writes this. He says, day in and day out, brokenness has turned our youthful boast of nothing is impossible, right? In Scripture, where, where, when uh, the angel appealed to Mary uh, before she was going to have a baby, and Mary's like, look, I, I, I'm a virgin. Like, how's this going to happen? And the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. So when we're young, we, we believe nothing is impossible. Woo, let's go do it. But then as we get older and we get settled in and you realize that systems are broken and things are messed up and, and people don't change or maybe... Uh, Family members don't change like we thought. Then he says this. He, we realize our youthful boast is nothing is impossible. We get weary and we say that nothing is ever going to change. Are y'all with me today? Sometimes nothing, we get to that place of nothing is ever going to change. And sometimes I fall into that. I fall into that vibe. I fall into that. Nothing is going to change. It's just same old, same old, but not with Jesus. That's what the resurrection changes. He changes everything. And so for me, he said, you feel this tension between God's promises and a seemingly hopeless situation. And the resurrection changes it all. These women came to the place with broken hope. Think about what they were doing. Think about this. So he, he coined this phrase. I have not read it anyplace else. He coined this phrase of hopeless realism. And I want you to kind of lean into that this morning. Hopeless realism is this, is that nothing is ever going to change. Oh, oh yeah, for a moment I can have relief. For a moment things can go right. For a moment I can move this way. But by the end of it, nothing's ever going to change. It's called hopeless realism. But that's not us because of the resurrection. Think about what Jesus did. Think about him taking the sins of the world the wrath of God on the cross, all of our sins, right? 
He did it because he loved us, so we get grace. That is something we don't deserve and the power to do what he's called us to do. But he gives us this, and all now we get is mercy because of the blood of Jesus. Uh, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So this, he wears all of our sin, so we get nothing but mercy. And so now John 3.17 plays in. For he didn't come to judge the world or condemn the world, but to save the world. And so that is why we get this. So look at hopeless realism in Christians. Uh, an example of this, would, he goes on to write, would be Sarah. Sarah was, when, when uh, it was prophesied that she was going to have a baby in Genesis 18, 12, the Bible tells us, so Sarah laughed at herself and thought, this is, you know, she's you know, this, this older lady, and God's going to give her this baby. She says, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Hopeless realism. Like, yeah, right, God. Yeah, right. Uh, how about Elijah, this great prophet of God in the Old Testament? And he was scared because the king and, and his wife and, and all of the kingdom, they were persecuting him for standing for God. And he writes in 1 Kings 19.14, we see, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. And this is what he says to God. And put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Hopeless realism. Uh, how about this? How about Thomas? You might have heard this guy. Thomas was one of the disciples, and he was a doubter. And he said, listen, I'm not going to believe Jesus has been resurrected unless I can put my, my hands in his hand where the nails were. And, and if I can touch his side where he was pierced, I'm not going to believe. And then all of a sudden, you know, Jesus appears to him, and he, and he begins to touch that. And he believes. He says, my Lord and my God. He calls Jesus God. But before that, it was kind of this, okay, Jesus is like, I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to die. They don't really understand why he's dying for the sins of the world. And John eleven sixteen, he says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that, me, that we may die with him. Hopeless realism. Things will never change. Falling into that vibe. But what happens, what happens when, when God does something different. And that's what the resurrection does. The resurrection takes this ho hopeless realism and flips it and gives us hope. And why do we want hope? I mean, I was thinking about that. Lord, why do I want hope? Why are we always longing for something better? Why is it that I can never have enough money, I can never have enough a position and security. I can never have enough friends or whatever it is. I mean, think about it. why is it that eventually whatever we like is never enough? Because there's nothing left on this earth that can satisfy. I'll prove to you why we're longing for hope. Why? Because we know something's not right. Jesus said in the Gospel of John 6, 35, he says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And as I read that, the Holy Spirit, to the best that I can understand him, that's part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who when you, get, when you surrender your life to God, that is a call to die, you say, no longer am I going to live for me, I live for you, Lord. Why does Jesus say I'm the bread of life? Because we're hungry for something. Everybody in this room is hungry for something. Listen, you're either hungry to be the best athlete you can be. You're either hungry that your kids do something amazing that you've never done. 
You're, you're either hungry for your life to count so when you die, you're not just a birth date and a death date. You know, people are hungry because they give money and put their names on buildings. There's, there's some type of longevity. There's some type of, they will be remembered. Men, we're hungry for something. If you're on a team, you're, you're hungry to win. If you're in a relationship, you're hungry for it to work. You're hungry for the person that's beside you to be faithful you, to you. Even if you die, they will not forget about you. Men were hungry. Jesus is the bread of life. That's why I love when we did what we did out there. I praise God for the donuts you brought. I praise, is that not great? Some of y'all are in a straight insulin coma right now. You were just, I, I was like, Lord, how am I going to out-preach bread? This ain't going to happen, Lord. Like, I hope they're drinking a bunch of coffee. Like, literally, for communion, we should, like, 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 here's a communion cup. And then for sometimes when we have bread, like, here's a shot of espresso. You know what I mean? Like, something. <laughs> you know, like, how am I going to, Lord, how am I going to break through the vibe today? We're eating. We're kind of like, oh. Listen, the bottom line is this meal that you just ate. And, though, let me tell you something. Whoever made some of those casseroles, whoo, the cheese in that thing. I felt my artery clogging, and it was good. My, my cholesterol went sky high, and I was like, praise Jesus, I'm just coming to you quicker. Right? Rolling, rolling. Man, I'm hungry for something. I'm hungry. I mean, I want, listen, I want the name of Jesus to be so famous that when I die, there is an absolute void in the kingdom of God, because I want to be a person that is leading people to Jesus. And I look, I'm not going to say a number, because I really felt, you know, I should not say this uh, as far as a number. But I started thinking about, Lord, how many of you, how many people have you used me to lead, you, to, lead to Jesus? And I'm not going to tell you what I thought, because I want to honor God. But I'm going to tell you, it gave me a little bit of hope that God was using me. Are y'all tracking me? I think about all the times I would speak to teams and, and, and teams, I'm not lying to you, high school teams. I'll never forget one time I was down at Collingdon County. They called me in there. Man, I go in there and, I, and you know me. I can't control myself when about Jesus. I can't control myself with food. How much more with Jesus? Huh? I got a muffin top. You know what I'm talking about. Like I can't control it. And seeing these people come to Christ, I thought about all these years in ministry. How many people have come to Jesus that I've seen, not people that I don't know? And it gave me hope that my life was mattering. It was counting for something. But here's what was inside. It was still wasn't enough. Because it's not how many people I lead to Jesus that's going to satisfy me. It's me getting to Jesus that's going to satisfy me. Listen, God wants you to come to him. Everybody in this room, you're going to be hungry. You want your kids to be better than you. And you'll do anything for them to be better. You are in class and you, 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 you have a calling from God and you want to do something with your life. You want it to count. You want to matter. You want something inside you to fill. And so we, we, we do all these things. We, we try to accumulate and help and give and bless. And all those things are good. Hear me. All those things are good. But here's what happens. Even when I give after Christmas, by January, it's still not enough. 
because it's not what I can give, but it's who I can receive. Jesus is the bread. Look what it says there. Man, I'm hungry. He says, whoever comes to me, whoo, this is good. Whoever comes to me is going, look what it says here. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever, what's the next word, saints? I didn't hear you, what? Come on, this is good. I mean, why do you look for the living among the dead, John? Why? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Because he said, whoever comes to me, Jesus is not in the tomb. He is alive and he is on the throne room. And listen, I want to tell you something, that he is in the throne. And when you read Revelation, my favorite book in the Bible, when you read Revelation, you can't help but see that this Jesus that was on a cross does not look like the one who was on the cross. He is resurrected and he is glorified and his wounds might be in front of God, but his wounds don't define him. His glory surrounds him. And I'm going to tell you, he's coming back. But he says something in this passage. That Mary Magdalene, those sweet ladies who I can't wait to meet in heaven, who gave their lives to follow Jesus, who gave their finances to follow Jesus, who had such the gift of helps and service that did everything they could to help the ministry of the gospel of Jesus, the good news. They didn't need to be in the forefront. These women didn't need to be, you read in Luke 8, they didn't need to be in the forefront. Why? Because they were already satisfied. They didn't need the world to give them approval when the King of kings and Lord of lords had said, come follow me. Look what it says there. Whoever comes to me will never go what, saints? Whoever comes to me will never go what, saints? It's interesting that he says come, the word comes, will never go hungry, but then he uses the word believes and never go thirsty. Which means this, that to get to the satisfier of my soul, there is spatial difference. I've got to come to Jesus. I've got to come to Jesus. I have to open my life and my heart and come to Jesus. And then he says, whoever believes in me will not go what, saints? So there's a difference. Faith is what satisfies our thirst. And the presence of God satisfies our hunger. When we believe and trust in the promises of God, the thirst that we have, the very depth of who we are, long when we believe it's Jesus, we become people of hope because we're satisfied in him and we know that our hunger and our thirst for him is the only thing that's going to satisfy us. Listen, I know, I know that great meal that we just ate. You and I, some of us in this room, some of you are like, okay, that's meal for the day. God bless you. Hallelujah. Uh, you're special, okay? But here's what I want you to know. Me, in about two hours... Okay, let's tell the truth. In about 30 minutes, I'm going to be hungry. It's never enough. And in a little bit, because it's hot up in here for me because I'm running around, I'm going to be thirsty. 
Because you see, I'm built and I'm wired, and you're built and you're wired for something. God wants to do something. Coming to him as geographical, as Piper would say, and believes as we're satisfied that all Jesus is. That's the opportunity we have. Because without Jesus, the only thing we can do is we try to just make the best of death. I'll show you. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices. They had what, saints? I mean, they spent the night before getting ready for the body. Look, they were trying to take death and make it smell good. Y'all, 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 all right, I'll go over here. All right, look, what I'm trying to say is sometimes we get in relationships that, that are dead and we do everything we can to make them good. We try to make it smell good. We try to prepare. We, we're like, well, you know, he's going to come home tonight. He's going to be mad because, you know, his job is just draining him. Maybe the job is draining us because maybe we're not called there. Maybe, that, maybe, that's, maybe, there's, maybe that's why it's never enough. And I know if I could just get a new position in the company, I, you know what? The new position is not going to change me. It's Jesus in me. I gotta have him. Otherwise, all I do is I take death and just try to make the best of death. Think about these believers. They were in a bad situation and they were trying to make it smell as good as they could. The problem, the problem is their efforts couldn't change the outcome. My efforts can't do anything for Jesus. My efforts can't do anything. That word prepared there literally means standing by. They were waiting. They were, it's from the root word, standing by. They were standing by waiting for the beginning of a new, that third day, to get there and to do something. And when they went, the body was gone. The body was gone. Why? Because Jesus had to use death to defeat death. Death will not rule us. Listen. My mom, I mean, they might, my family might be watching. So Friday, my mom got ill. Yesterday morning, she was in such bad shape. She, they were at the hospital for six hours on Friday. They, uh, yesterday, she's in, she was, you know, not doing well. And so they, they hospitalized her. And all I could think about was, okay, Lord, I know my dad died 15 years ago, but, you know, I, I understand that we're all going to face death. And there's this, like, empty feeling, Right? But when you're a Christian, what happens, God takes that empty feeling of broken hope and puts in new hope because death is not our master. Death is our servant that leads us to Jesus. God will do anything he wants to do. He is victorious. We will die, but we won't die for no reason or no purpose. Sin, listen, sin brings death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Our life is not meant here. Our life is in the fullness of the Trinity with him. And so we have an opportunity to experience Christ now. They were trying to make their best of death. Death, they were coping. As, as, as Judas Smith would say, they were doing the best that they know how. They were doing the best that they knew, only in that. But the problem was they were looking for someone and he wasn't there. And then it blew my mind 
as I was looking at these sections in every gospel, I was trying to look through and look at the resurrection stories, the narratives there. But I, as I looked through that, I thought about this. But with Jesus, death is defeated and our hope is made new. In the midst of the tomb, God's angels showed up. And not only him, look what happened. Just when we're at the point of death, look what happened. Katie, if you don't mind, I'm going to add the gospel of John chapter 20. And I'm going to land there. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 20. And I want to just land here. I want to see a section that what is going to happen. So we're getting ready to, to move into a time where the resurrection of Jesus Christ can be the only answer for the hunger that we have. And there'll be, he says, if you come to me, you won't be hungry. And if you believe in me, you won't thirst. And my sin, and see, there's a lot of people in this room that know me well. And they know, they know my sins. They still see my sins. But the difference is now, you say, but John, I, you're a Christian. Now, you, you, you shouldn't sin. Let me just remind you, one, I'm not Jesus. Two, right? So perfection is not me. Two is this. The difference before I was a Christian is I would sin and I didn't care. Now that I'm a Christian, when I sin, I acknowledge it. And I say, Lord, I have to lay it at your feet because you're the only one who can change me. That's the difference is I keep coming to Jesus and I keep believing in Jesus. And I believe in the promises of God. The resurrection changes everything. There is nobody who has been raised from the dead and lives forever. Lazarus and John 11 still died. As a pastor, I know of a guy who was a worship leader at a church in the city. And he was as good as dead at the hospital. And my mentor, inner city pastor, went down there, prayed over him, and walked out, and the mother of that worship leader, and he was, he had led worship at Seacoast, got mad at my mentor, this inner city pastor from Gadsden Green. Gadsden Green is where Burke High School is. And this man took me in, and my, my, my family knows him, he mentored me. I would watch him have his quiet time. I'd interrupt his quiet. I'd never seen anybody so bold for Jesus. We were doing a prayer walk, and the people down there got mad at him because he was walking with a white man. True story. This man was so bold for Jesus. He did not care. And I wanted, I saw something. I saw something in him. He was he was so satisfied in Jesus. I was like, Lord, my life, I'm so hungry for everything. He's got something I don't have. Now, I'm a believer. And he would mentor me. And I watched this man. And this man went and prayed over this guy. And the mother got mad at him. The mother said, you didn't take oil out. You didn't anoint the IV tubes. You didn't do any of that. He said, no, ma'am. He said, listen, I was praying before I got here. The best I can understand, the Holy Spirit, your, your, your son is going to live. Now, this is, this is on a Friday. And he's not doing good. She calls him up on a Saturday. And she says, your prayer is not working. 
because they just called in the family to the best if I remember this correctly, he's going to die. So he goes back to the Lord. He comes to the one that he's hungry for. He's come to the one he's thirsty for and he says, Lord, he goes, I thought you told me, maybe I missed you. Man, I, I thought you told me this man was going to live. And the best thing you can understand the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said he's going to live. He calls the lady back up and he says, look, I'm not even coming down there. That didn't go over well. He's going to live. Of course the mother didn't believe it. That was on a Saturday night late. Sunday morning that man was sitting up and about two days later, if my memory serves correctly, he walked out of the hospital. All I can say to you is, is that's not going to happen every time. We're not always meant, God is not always going to stop the death, but he will stop the death that separates us from him forever. John 20, and I land with this. The Gospel of John, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. I meant Mary Magdalene. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? I'm going to ask the band to come on up here. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. I mean, can you imagine her brokenness? Everything that she had followed in her life was taken away. Where's the resurrection? At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, I just want to say something. That's been my life. Jesus was calling me so many times. And I didn't realize it. We're here today. Family and friends. And there's something special about Easter in it, like a new hope. Something different. Old country people used to say it this way. It's almost like a new year. Spring comes, there's new life because there's a resurrection. Sometimes them, them country people, they're smart. In fact, almost all the time they get it right. She did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, notice what word he said. What word did he use? Woman. He didn't say your name. He said woman. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. There's so many times I've just missed Jesus. But today my prayer is that God would open up her eyes, that the enemy would not blind anybody in this room. Today that you will hear Jesus say your name. taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus, verse 15. 
he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. She's talking face to face with the resurrected Jesus, the man that she's followed since Luke 8, the man that delivered her from possession, the man that had set her free, given her a new hope, a new life, a new purpose, a new faith, a new promise, a new community, a new love. today is that you will hear him call your name. That he will say, Mary, and you will come, and you will believe. Because you see, here it is, and this is where we're landing. John Davis was so full of sin that I could not hear Jesus. I would not recognize him. I did not know how to go to Jesus, but I want to tell you where I found Jesus. I found Jesus in a place where people would say death. When I was with my church family as an 18-year-old visiting a prison in Virginia, in my whole life I've been raised around prisoners and, and going to jail uh, and, and, and with my father and as he was a lawyer, cynical. It was in a place of death. Like Mary, I heard my name. My sin, I couldn't, Jesus was nothing to me. He was a gardener. He was my parents' faith. He was a church building. He was a book I would read that I never really read. I would listen to maybe sometimes because my parents, I didn't know, I hadn't heard my name, but I saw a man, a prisoner, who I did not know his name, but I knew that he knew Jesus, and the power of Jesus in a place of death spoke to my heart, and we went back to this place where we were staying and this man got up and gave the gospel. I was already there. God was already saving me. And I heard the good news that Jesus Christ had called my name, had died for my name, that my sins put him on the, and for me it was real, my sins put him there and that he died. For me, 
and that he was offering me mercy, giving it to me. There, I bowed my knee and I surrendered my life. And it took me years to understand what discipleship was about. It took me years to understand that God was calling me. I had no idea how to hear his voice, but Jesus wouldn't let me go. And I pray today that something is speaking to your heart that's called the Holy Spirit. And that he is making it real and that today, that this Easter, your new day, that you hear for the first time all the love of people poured into you, all the kindness people poured into you, your, your, maybe your grandmother or maybe friends or, or maybe you turned on a TV one night and saw something or, or maybe you saw a classmate or, or maybe you've seen something different in somebody. Listen, the only change in John is the change that the Holy Spirit put in. surrender my life. Salvation is a call to die. To deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. And it's his blood that saves us. Because we are no match for sin. But only Jesus is. And I pray today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that he is no ordinary man. That he is either God or he is a liar absolutely crazy there's only just a couple options and that today you hear him call your name there's not just words on the page there's a name speaking to your heart and today since he is the bread of life and he says he will come I want to ask you today two things number one if you're in here and you sense God saying something to you let me tell you how it works. That's uneasy feeling that you feel is playing out in your flesh. That's actually the Holy Spirit speaking. And it feels weird because remember, this is spiritual and we're used to the five senses. Our senses become our God. But God doesn't work by flesh. He does not work by, by senses. He works by the Spirit. so that uneasiness is the Lord speaking to you saying come I'm calling you by name come to me all who are weary and heavy laden I will give you rest for my yoke is easy that's his teaching and my burden is light he's calling you to a moment of salvation you have a chance to respond to the call of God the moment that you get up and out of your seat and you come forward and you grab one of our leaders and say, man, I surrender my life to Christ. It's the Lord. The Lord's already saved you before you even got up. You're just verbalizing what he did. And I know that that's crazy to say, man, that's old school, John. It's like, Somebody gave a gospel. For those 
here's your chance to go from broken hope to new hope. If the resurrection happened, if the resurrection happened, then God today will give you hope. And if you need prayer, we're here. We're not ashamed of the gospel. And I pray that God will speak to your heart. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful Easter day. Thank you so much for everyone in this room. And I thank you that the grave couldn't hold you. So, Lord, as we get ready to sing these two songs, my first prayer is this. If there's anyone in this room that does not know you, I'm going to ask our leaders to get up right now out of their seats. I'm going to ask the leaders in this room to get up out of their seats, and they might want us to We're going to stand off to the side and whatever, be able to pray for people. Number one, Lord, for the believers in this room, if there are any believers in this room, just want to call on Jesus to give them some hope. We got some new hope. They can come and kneel. They can come and pray. We got leaders that will pray over them and with them. But Lord, the people that go here, and they know the drill. If there's anybody in here that wants to do that, come on. Just get up right now as I'm praying, Lord. I pray you just, to the believers in the room, just come and just, if you need some prayer, you want to pray, come on. But then, Lord, my prayer is for this, for anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. These two songs that we sing, sing about the power of the resurrection and who you say we are. Lord, I pray today that if there's someone in here that does not know you, that they would say this prayer with me right now. They can just say it in their heart. They can say it with their mouth. Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I know that I need forgiveness of my sins, and I believe that you have saved me. I believe you died on the cross, and that God raised you from the dead on the third day, I surrender my life to you. And I don't know what all that means, Lord. But I know that I need you at this moment. So at this very moment, I ask you to save me, and I want to surrender my life to you. So, Lord, if there's somebody in this room who did that, I pray today that they would get up and out of their seats and come and let us know and let us pray with them. God, give them courage and strength. 